How does Christ's return to judge the living and the dead comfort you? In all distress and persecution, with uplifted head, I confidently await the very judge, who has already offered himself to the judgment of God in my place and removed the whole curse from me. Christ will cast all his enemies and mine into everlasting condemnation, but will take me and all his chosen ones to himself into the glory and glory of heaven. Let us read, uh, I'll read Romans 8.22-25. You may be seated. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this time. We ask that you please open our hearts and our minds to be sensitive to your leading, to your prompting, to your word, and all things that you have for us. Lord Jesus Christ, and the living God, have mercy upon us. May the words of all of my mouth and all of our hearts be uh, receptive to what you are doing. In your son's holy name. Okay, we're going to go back a couple verses before we move on uh, and really start into this. Because if you can remember last week, you remember what I was talking about last week about ascension. Remember, uh, I, I just talked about how what, what Christ does for us, where, where he grabs us, and he takes us into the presence of the Father, the thing that Moses uh, got to experience but without a shroud. And the, the, the fact that you experience that right now. Could you turn back to a, a couple verses, please? Uh, well, yeah, we'll stay right there, actually, because I think that this kind of gets at what we're talking about. Um, this groaning, this creation that groans. Why are they groaning? What's this groaning about? If it's just about sin, if it's just about the fact that, oh, I, uh, what, what's the effect of sin, uh, whatever, particular effect of sin, whether you commit a particular sin and you uh, are a victim of it or the, the circumstance bears its fruit. So how about this? If I rob a bank and I start to get upset that I got arrested, um, no one here is going to feel sympathy for me, right? You might, you might say, oh, that stinks that, uh, that he would do that, that, that that is something he felt like he needed to do. This, by the way, this isn't a confession. I use something absurd to let you know that uh, I didn't rob a bank. But you wouldn't say, oh, darn it, he got caught, right? But I think that that's kind of what we do with sin. I think that's kind of what we do with the effect of the fall, that we all lament the fact that we are bearing the very mighty fruit of our sin, of the very mighty fruit of our fallenness, is come and, 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 and lives in our life each and every day. Whenever you're angry with somebody and you're harsh with them and you don't love them, do you wonder why you have a fractured relationship with them? And why that makes bad living. Why that's not great. That's maybe part of the groaning, but I don't think that that's what we're talking about here. Because if we said that that is what this groaning is about, it's because we are sad with getting the just desserts of our sin. No. 
No. I think the groaning here, the creational groaning, this, this, this aspect of groaning that exists in, in, in creation has nothing to necessarily to do, maybe it's a part of it, I, you know, I'm making a very broad statement, but I don't think it has anything necessarily directly to do with the fact that you're like, oh, he got thrown into jail. Mm. I think what it has to do, and I think what we have an experience of, is this, that our creation, or the, the way God created creation, it was to be in relationship with him. As some theologians would say, all of creation is contingent upon God the Father. Meaning that whenever God the Father ceases for it to exist, it would cease to exist. So by the very time, my next heartbeat, my next breath, my next step, my next is by a grace given to me by God. Right? That is really a little bit more of what we understand about creation. Meaning that creation always sits upon God. It's not just thrown out and God interacts with it from a distance, as you always hear me say often. But I think the fact that God, the fact that this world spins, that the universe exists, is all contingent upon God allowing it to happen. What does that mean? That means one thing from a very early time, even before we sin, God extended grace to us. Now, let's, let's flesh that out. By God separating the, the earth from the, 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 the sea, the, the, the sky, and then giving us plants, and then creating human beings, and letting them name all the animals, all of that was a grace. The fact that you were born means that you were grace, that you're under grace. Not just because you sinned, that's another aspect of grace, something that you did not deserve, but also your existence. God extended grace to you. Do you understand the shift here? Because I think the modern, the modern uh, 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 thought process is this. My parents gave birth to me, and, they, and I have a right to exist. And we kind of come to God under that smugness, under that kind of arrogance. And even then, at that very moment, before you even start talking about your sin, you need to recognize that the breath that you take, the heartbeat that you have, is given to you by God. That is a reality of neediness and dependence. And that's what that means, that God, that all of creation is contingent upon God, that we need Him so much more than what we're willing to give Him credit for. Yes, I can go out today, I can go to the grocery store, and I can buy some food, and I can have that food to go eat. Yeah, I'd go, and I could take enough oxygen into my lungs and take it as much as I need, and I can go to that faucet back there, and I can drink some water, and then I can, I got all the things I need to live. And we never ask the next question, where did those things come from? Or, we ask the next question, who brought your parents together? to give birth to you. See, we don't ask those types of questions. And so, whenever we start talking about what is the essence of this groaning, we need to understand this concept of contingency, that creation, all of creation is contingent upon God. Every single bit of it is a grace given to us. And so whenever we start talking about groaning, we need to understand that the God in which we rely on everything, every single aspect, 
is this. I'll give you another example of this so that you can understand it. I have been in an interaction. I had been in an interaction, and we haven't talked for a little while, but I've been in an interaction with this guy who's a, uh, an atheist. He's a guy who's a vehement atheist, and he doesn't like God. He doesn't like any concept of God. He hates God, actually, or the concept, because to him, God is not real. Imagine that. That's a, that, that's a strong reality. So we have that problem. We have that reality. We have that situation that exists in his mind that God is not even remotely real. And so whenever Thanksgiving came, he put on Facebook, he said, you guys say, I'm thankful for God in my life. Well, yeah, I'll tell you who I'm thankful for. This is what he said. I'm thankful for the farmers who farmed those turkeys and those farmers who farmed uh, for the, the potatoes and all, you know, whatever. He, he had this litany of things that he ate at Thanksgiving. He's like, that's what I'm thankful for. I'm not thankful for God. I'm thankful for the people who put all that stuff on my plate. People of faith, people who understand that ask the next question, Right? There's one more question to that at the end of that statement. Um, oh, where did all that come from? Who brings the rain? <laughs> Who allows the soil to be fertile? Who gives the soil in the first place? Right? We don't ask these questions because we think, I'm giving, I'm giving that as an example of an obscure level, but we don't come to that level of humility often in our own lives. That we are groaning when we even think that we are in a good place with God, we still need to be groaning. Right? Even when you feel a sense of peace and joy, and boy, that's great, that is definitely given to you by the Holy Spirit. If you experience joy, holy joy, I think it's given to you by God. This righteousness. That's given to you by God. That's, that's great. That's good. But we also need to have on the same hand this sense of groaning. Not just because of your sinfulness, yes, but also the sense of groaning that you are still not united with the Father like you need to be united with the Father. The way it is in reality that all of creation is contingent upon the Father. Everything relies upon Him. And in some way, shape, or form, we're not recognizing that because our sinfulness blinds us. So... Paul knew this. I think Paul knew this. I would assume. I make a case. I'm preaching a sermon that dictates that I think Paul knows. And this is what he means by the next verse. Go to the next verse. And he starts talking about hope. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown in inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. He gets it. He gets a sense of it. He, well, of course, Paul gets a sense of it. I get an understanding of what Paul means by this. This is, I think, what he's saying, trying to say here. This guy, one who killed Christians, who has a lot to repent of, I think he's talking about even more so. We groan inwardly. We want to focus on our sinfulness, but also we need to realize that that's been taken care of on the cross. But what are we saved for? We are saved for an intimate relationship with our Father. I talked about it last week, but I'll talk about it even more so even then, until I die, hopefully. That what we are created for isn't just to have your sins forgiven, to be brought back into this place where you say, I could take the breath because I deserve that breath, or I go work the field and I produce some sort of vegetable and I earn that vegetable, or I earn that thing, and that's mine, that's who I am, I've earned that. No, it's been given to you by God. All of it has been given to you by God. How about 
I've given, I've given more extraneous examples, but he starts talking about inwardly. What about the good things? What if I'm a person who exhibits a certain uh, a discipline, a certain level of spiritual fruit? How about this? I have not, uh, there's only been a couple days that I've missed reading, the, I'm going to pat myself on the back here right now. There's only been a couple days where I've missed reading the Bible daily for the last 15 years. My life has been given to trying to understand the scriptures daily. I get in and I spend time with scriptures. And I feel like, boy, I can make myself feel good about myself. And then you might actually say, wow, that's great, Dan. Please don't. <laughs> because then I start losing what this is all about. What this is all about and what I'm called to be doing is realizing that I'm called for, uh, to complete absolute submission to the Father. I'm called to, to live into that reality. And so whenever you say, wow, good job, Dan, if I start to believe that, I start losing what Paul's getting at here, that I need to grow inwardly. I'm only doing a small piece of what we are always called to be doing. I'm only doing just a little bit. So what, what about you guys? What's some sort of thing given to you by God that you live out, that you find, that you have that other people don't do? I think, I think that there's other people. Um, I, I know of prayer warriors that just, they just pray. And people are envious of that prayer. They're like, wow, that's amazing. We have a spiritual gifts that's given to us by God. Um, uh, peace, joy. Uh, gosh, I'm Throw at me. What are, what are some of the fruits of the Spirit? Gent gentleness, humbleness, right? Kindness, self-control, right? There's all these things that are given to us. And whenever we see other people happen, we're like, wow. They're amazing. Or the ability to teach. The ability to evangelize. See some of these other fruits of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Corinthians. They're like, wow, that person could preach. Hopefully you say that about me. But no. You see other people say evangelism. Wow, that person could really just share their faith. That's amazing. Um, no. Because if someone who is genuinely in a relationship with God, in a place where there's humility, they don't like hearing. They don't want to hear that. You know, you want to know why they don't like hearing that? Because they're groaning inwardly. They realize their own sinfulness. They realize that they're still not a connect. And if someone who starts to take in the, that praise, and starts to take that in and start living into that as an identity, they start ignoring this verse. And they start being just like that atheist who says, I want to thank the, the farmer. Because it comes from the farmer. This gift, it comes from me. It comes from my... No, no, no. Paul's talking about something completely different here. Each and every day, we are called to realize our contingent nature. To growing inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And he gets into this language of hope. For in this hope, we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For, we, for who hopes... For what he sees. Now, um, there's this uh, uh, Paul, uh, this guy, Paul, he, he has this triad. Faith, blank, and love. What's the middle one? Hope. Well, what's the greatest one? Love. Why is love the greatest? It's going to go on, too. It's a commandment. Ooh. Not only, but it's going to go on. We're going to exhibit love. But this concept of faith and hope are going to be things that are going to be kind of fading away. But now he's talking about it. Now hope. Uh, for in hope we were saved. Go back to 23 real quick. 
grown inwardly as we uh, and not only the creation but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit 20, uh, grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption of sons the redemption of our bodies for in this hope the redemption of our bodies not just the redemption of some sort of cloudy soul but the redemption of our bodies resurrection of the body is what we're talking about here whenever we live that out we will not have this concept of hope now we have a hope but then we will not have a hope because we will start seeing the redemption of our bodies. We will see that. So whenever we have, whenever we lament our sinfulness, whenever we start saying, darn it, yeah, I know that I'm doing some good things. I know that I'm able to do certain good things that are just a blessing to the world. And I'm glad, I'm glad for that. Ah. That inward groaning needs to come out. You need to allow it to come out. You know why? Because it exhibits that, ex uh, that exhibition of hope that we are still called to have. Because we know that right now, it is great. Amen. I have joy in the Lord. Yes. But oh, in that day, you start to live out that hope that day when that will come. So we need to understand what hope is. Whenever you, uh, I hope for something. I hope that the sun will come up tomorrow. Um, is that a hope? Yeah, not really. I mean, um, I guess I should hope for it, because if it doesn't come up tomorrow, we're all in a lot of trouble, right? There's some troubles to be had if the sun does not come up tomorrow. But uh, I'm a gambling, I'm not a gambling man, but if I was, and someone would want to willing to take a bet and say, I'll bet you the sun will come up tomorrow, I'm going to take them up on that bet, because I don't think I have a lot of problems in hoping that that will happen, right? We're talking about something that we just don't know. We're talking about hope in something that we are genuinely hoping for, that, that, that sense of essence of wanting. And I've compared it often to, and I think I've compared it in this room at one point, to a hope of, uh, of having a Christmas present. I've, I've used that example, the G.I. Joe big battleship. Remember me talking about that? I wanted that big battleship so bad. Uh, when I was a kid, I didn't know it was $999.99. Um, I just wanted it. I, and it groaned within me to the point where I actually made myself sick. Did you know that? Did I tell that part of the story? That I literally made myself sick. And then I got my Christmas presents and seeing I didn't get that. But I got all these other things and I was like, oh, that's so cool. It's this cool story. That is just a small illustration of what hope is, I think. That you desperately want for something to be that isn't yet. You want it so bad. You don't just passively, oh, when that will happen. No, you desperately want it. So much so that you're gonna take it at all costs, that you're gonna try to pursue it, that you're gonna try to see it happen, that you're gonna try to live into it, that you're gonna try to do it. So what is it that we're hoping for? Go back to verse 23 because we're gonna reread it again. Not only that the creation, but all of ourselves, that we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly. This is what we're hoping for. Adoption as sons. Then the redemption of our bodies. We groan inwardly. Not just for the fact that our sins be forgiven. It's part of it. But that we realize in full what is already true. That we are 100% contingent upon God. That each and every one of us has been created to interact in love and be in the presence of God the Creator. 
I always get this question. Yeah, but what about our sin now? That's only a marker to tell us that this has not come in full. But we are called. The fact that you don't like your own sin, that you hate it. As a matter of fact, the fact that you don't like your sin and you want to hide it is an example of the fact that you're doing exactly what Adam did in the garden, what Eve did in the garden. You don't like your sin, you're embarrassed of it. Okay, so was Adam and Eve. You haven't come too far. But there will be a day whenever all that sin will come and be made known. And what, you know what you say? You won't hide in a bush. You'll say amen because you know why? You will have full redemption of the body. You will be brought and made whole in the Lord. This is what we're groaning for. And this is what we're striving for. This is what we want. And this is our hope. We don't hope for a misguided hope of just being able to go to heaven. That's part of it. Yeah. Okay. Amen. But if that's the, if that's the end story, if you're just wanting to go to heaven, what is, your, what is your God for? But if you're groaning for a complete and redeemed life, united to the Father, through Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that is a lot more. That's an intimate relationship. If you're a Christ, just saved your sins and that's all you care about, you need to have a more mature faith. Our God is redeeming us and restoring us and drawing us not to a, a, a place because he just hates your sin, but because he sees how you're knitted together, how he knitted you together, how he created you, and he himself groans at how you sin so mightily. And he doesn't, he's not going to put up with it. He's not going to deal with it. He's going to let you experience the first fruit. So when you go to jail for robbing a bank, he's like, yeah, yeah, that's what you shop for. You probably get worse than that. You are going to get worse than that, probably. But you know what he did? He took a lot of that punishment on the cross. He took a lot of that going forward. But he says, I'm going to work this out. And he's not going to let you go. He's going to work out your faith. He's going to work out these things in your life. This is what our God does. We think that Easter is the end game, and it's not. It just isn't. It's important. It's super important. It's incredibly important. But I think we kind of get how important it is. Because we know how sinful we are. We know... It needs to be taken care of. Now, ascension. That's what we're talking about in the uh, uh, Westminster Confession here. What, is his, uh, what does it mean that he's at the right hand of the Father? I'll say it again. I know I said it last week, but I'll say it again today. For the first time in all of eternity. I'm talking about from the very beginning. Far before that. God the Father existed. And then at some point he created heavens and the earth and all the things in it. Thousands of years, some say millions of years, and then Christ came, 2,000 years. Up until that point that Christ ascended, humanity was not in the presence of the Father. Do we understand how significant? For billions and billions and billions of centuries of decades of years, Humanity wasn't in the presence of the Creator. I'm, I'm floored by this. This to me, because then, in that moment, for the first time in life, first time ever in creation, He brings cre humanity, being Jesus Christ, into His presence. Without shroud, without some sort of semblance, without anything in between, He allows that to exist. Why do we think that all he worries about is our sin, when in fact he really wants all of our presence? 
He wants us at the right hand of the Father. He wants us to be at the throne. He wants us to worship Him without shroud, without the worry of, of, of some sort of sinful notion. But also, He wants us. He wants all of you. This is the problem. When we leave it just at the cross and we leave it at the empty tomb, all of those things are mighty. We leave it there and we don't talk about what's happening next. Our faith is a past tense faith. But when we start talking about the ascension of what Christ is doing right now, we start talking about it as a future and a present tense faith. What is he up to now and what is he going to do? And this is the God that I want to worship. And this is the God I want to worship in full. Not just right now with who I am right now. But I want to worship when we come again. What I'm talking about is the now and not yet. We groan, but it is going to come. And it's going to be beautiful. And it's going to be more than we can even begin to imagine. Let us work towards that. Let us work towards that. Let that groaning, oh, I'm so simple. Yeah, let that groaning work towards it. Don't delude yourself into thinking, I'm good. Yeah, 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 I got, this, I got my sin covered, but I'm good. No, 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 not a single one of us is there. By the way, I don't, I don't, I, I don't kill the turkey for things. Uh, I don't uh, package it. I don't. Uh, I don't prepare it. I, I, I mean, like, I'm not making turkey on Thanksgiving Day. So there's a lot more people than just the farmer that I should thank, and beyond that, the one who created all things. As a matter of fact, these are all contingent upon, and we forget that too often. This is the hope that we have. In the fact that our God has brought us close to Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is He striving for? Not just for your sins to be forgiven, but for your presence and your worship without a shroud, without some sort of embarrassing distance, but being face to face. I'll give you another example. I was going to end, but I feel like I need another example that I want to tell you. Has anyone talked on Skype before? Anyone know what I'm talking about? How about the phone? Anyone talk to someone on the phone? Right now, that's our relationship with God. Right now, that's the distance that we have with our God. But you know what he wants? He wants what I want. He wants what you want. Whenever we start talking to somebody, we want to talk to someone face to face. We want to deal with someone face to face. That's what he wants. And that's what he's doing by being in the ascension. That's what Christ has done in the ascension. He's talking to humanity face to face. That's good news. That's good news. Father God, we thank you for this time, this place, this opportunity to worship you. We ask that you, uh, that we can encounter you face to face, each and every day, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not just the fact because of our sins are forgiven, but that we can realize through the groaning of our spirits, the groaning of our heart, that we can hope more and more each and every day for this peace that transcends all understanding. That you love us, it's in your Son's holy name.